to the Redeemed Evangelical Mission, Trem, Atlanta. This is a place where we gather together in quality praise and worship of the true and living God. Equipped with the world of God for growth and fellowship with one another. God bless you as you listen to this message. I'm going to receive the ministry of Dr. Mensa Otabil. Is the founding pastor of International Gospel Central Gospel Church in Accra, in Ghana. Doctor Oda Bill is a voice in that nation, and uh, there's no way you can talk about the gospel without mentioning him. God has endowed him with some outstanding wisdom, and so he's going to be speaking to us through the media tonight. And then after that, the next speaker will come. While we remain standing, join me to welcome Dr. Mensah Otavio as he comes. Put those hands together In for God. Adam, all men die. In Christ, all men live. There are two kinds of human beings on earth. Those who are dead and those who are alive. Those who are dead come from the natural man those who are alive come from the spiritual man it's a joy to be with you again Trim, for this year's conference and uh, I was uh, planning that uh, I will be there physically, but uh, uh, just the circumstances we are in has made it a bit difficult uh, for me to travel outside and uh, I just uh, couldn't make it physically, but I trust that this encounter uh, through this medium will still be fresh and rewarding. And Bishop Mike, oh, we've missed you so much and uh, we've missed our time of fellowship. Uh, for the past uh, two years or so, we haven't met physically. Uh, we, of course, uh, uh, WhatsApp each other and stay in touch, but uh, WhatsApp is not physical meeting. And uh, I, I just uh, miss our times of fellowship and the conversations we have when we meet, either in Lagos or uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, Harare or in Accra at our conferences or with Bishop Mike, uh, uh, with Bishop Tudor, sorry. Uh, it's always uh, a joy and a privilege. And Bishop Peace, uh, thank you so much for uh, your relationship with us and the fellowship and, uh, and the encouragement you are to us. So it's a joy uh, uh, to be able to uh, present and to minister at this conference although uh, we're doing it virtually uh, instead of being physically present. Uh, this year's theme uh, is looking at exceeding glory. Exceeding glory. It's, I know that it's a subject that is uh, dear to Bishop Mike. Uh, he's talked about it. Uh, he has become very passionate about our relationship with God and the centrality of Christ in our relationship with God. And, and I know that it's been his burden to bring the church back to its foundations and its anchors. And uh, you can see by the passion that he speaks about these subjects. Uh, 
So I'm going to pick it up with that same spirit uh, today as I, I make my contribution to the theme for the conference. So I'm going to speak today about justification. Justification. Justification is one of those words we use often as Christians, but sometimes do not fully understand its meaning. And I'm going to take time to teach as, as detailed as I can on the subject uh, for us to appreciate what it means to be justified. Justification has to do with the legal side of our salvation. It's not the relational side of our salvation, but the legal side of our salvation. So we can just say that it's, it deals with the legality of salvation. So when we say that a person is justified or Christ has justified us, we're dealing with legality, not necessarily relationship. Le justification occurs when God pronounces a believing sinner to be freed from the penalty of his sin and fully restored into divine favor. When a person becomes a new creation in Christ, uh, which is what we know that when we give our lives to Christ, we become new creation, we become born again. When a person becomes a new creation, it is God at work, but God as work as father. So I am born again because God is my father. But when we say that a person has been justified, it is not an act of a father. Is the act of God as judge. So the same God, he's one God, but he's a father, and he's at the same time a judge. His nature as father is what makes us born again, become his children, his sons and daughters. But his nature as judge is what makes us justified. So, uh, that's why I'd say it deals with the legality of our salvation. Now, when a person is born again, the born again experience is internal. So we say born again is internal. Internal. What does that mean? It means that when we say that somebody is born again, what has happened has happened inside of them, inside of their spirit. It's an internal reality. It's something that happens on the inside. Uh, we sing the song, something on the inside, working on the outside. Being born again is internal. But being justified is external. It's not something happening on the inside, but something happening outside of us. Something that God does externally by imputing Christ's obedience to our account. So, there is an aspect of our Christian life that is internal. There is an 
aspect of it that is external. So God does something outside of us, not inside of us. So just an introductory thought to that. So let's go to our pivotal text from where I will start my presentation. Romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 26. The entire book of Romans is, uh, is a very masterful argument by the Apostle Paul explaining our relationship, uh, especially as Gentiles, to God. But in chapter 3, verse 23 to 26, uh, we start with verse 26, for all have seen and fall short of the glory of God. We are very familiar with that scripture. Now verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now I wish I could break down the entirety of uh, the verses we've read, uh, but that would take too much time. So I'm just going to uh, focus on the last verse, verse 26. It says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So, to be justified, as I've said, it's the external. So it is a declaration. It is a pronouncement. It is a statement that God makes. So when we say that God has justified, it means he has made a statement concerning us and that statement is a good statement. So it is to be declared right before God. But the key word I want you to take note is Declared. Declared. It's a declaration. It's a pronouncement. It's a public pronouncement. It also means to be declared free from condemnation. To be declared free. Not to be made free, but to be declared to be so. Because it is possible for you to be made free without any declaration to back the reality of what you have been made. So justification is what God uses to declare what he has achieved in us by salvation through Christ Jesus as Lord. So justification does not refer to a change of moral character, but a change of legal status. So when God says, for example, that somebody has been justified, it doesn't mean the person has become a good person. It doesn't mean even that the person has been uh, made uh, a better person, although it is included if you look at the entirety of salvation. 
but the justification has a limited objective and its limited objective is to say that God has performed or granted a legal change from a state of guilt and condemnation to a state of acceptance and forgiveness. The opposite of justification is condemnation. So whenever we are dealing with justification, it is because there was condemnation that we had to be justified. So, it is not a moral change, although salvation includes a moral change, but justification is not a moral change. Justification is a change in legal status. Now, I'm at pains to say these things because they're so critical for some of the things I'm going to say later on. Now, I want you to take note of verse 26 of Romans chapter 3, which we just read. It says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. So, two words there. It says that in justifying us or in the process of making us, pronouncing us right, God had to be just. And then he had to be the justifier. So he doesn't just become a justifier, he has to be just. Now what does that mean? Why does the Bible say that God has to be just? And a justifier, a person who is in authority, a person who has power like almighty God, who has all the power in the universe, can justify anybody. He can justify anybody. It's just like uh, a person in natural authority can justify anybody. But when he justifies anybody... When a person who is powerful, whether it's a judge or a leader, justifies somebody or your parent, your dad, your parents, justifies something that we all know is wrong, we all scream, it's unfair, it's unfair. So, it's possible for God to justify. He can justify anybody. But when he justifies, he has to be just. So that when we look at God, we don't say, it's unfair. Because he, the justifier, must do his justification justly. He has to do it fairly. And so God is both just and a justifier. He is just and a justifier. And to understand how God becomes both just and a justifier, we have to go to what I call God's divine tribunal because in making us just all of this has to happen in God's tribunal so God's tribunal God's judgment all right so what happens at God's judgment or God's tribunal sitting in the seat is God almighty and the Bible says he is just. He's a just judge. 
Now that's a very powerful thing when we say God is a just judge. Because when we say God is a just judge, it means he is inflexibly just. He cannot be unjust. He cannot bend his rules. In God's court, he takes the law literally as it is in the strictest and the sternest sense. And he judges rigidly according to the letter of the law. So he is just. And he renders to each man according to his deeds. And God's attributes do not conflict with one another. You know, sometimes we teach about God as if his attributes conflict with one another. God's mercy does not overrule his justice. He has to be just and he can be merciful at the same time. One does not overrule the other. One just expresses different aspect of him. So we have God, the just God, the just judge. Before God stands the accused. Accused. In that sense, the sinner, you and I, before Christ. So the God, the accused, and then the prosecution. Prosecution. So we have God, just, the sinner, what is the sinner accused of? He's accused of high treason. What does that mean? He took something that belongs to God and gave it to God's enemy. So that's the sin he's committed. In every jurisdiction, if you commit high treason, you must be put to death because you've betrayed the cause. And there is a prosecution to ensure that at this court, God will be just. The prosecution has three witnesses. The first witness the prosecution has is the law. The law. John chapter 3, chapter 5, verse 45. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom we trust. Here in this sense, Moses is used in synonymous with the law. Moses brought the law. So Jesus is saying, I don't accuse you before the Father. That's not my job. But there is one that accuses you and that is the law. The law you trust in is your accuser. The law sets out what is clearly a crime. It tells us what God expects from us. And when we fail, it tells us what we should suffer. The law is our written charge sheet. So God is the judge. We are the accused. The prosecution has the law. Secondly, second thing that accuses us in the prosecution is conscience. Not only is the law judging us, conscience 
is also judging us. Romans chapter 2 verse 15. Who's, who show the work of the law written in their heart, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So what does that mean? Where the law cannot say we have done wrong, conscience tells us we have done wrong. Because law only gets you when it catches you. All of you know that. You break a traffic regulation, there is no policeman, you go free. But your conscience will tell you you broke the law. Or you take something that is not yours, it belongs to somebody, nobody catches you. So by law, you don't have accusation, but conscience doesn't leave you. And the, the thing about conscience, it goes where law cannot go. So before God's tribunal, law tells us what we have broken. Conscience tells us that even when we have not been caught, we were wrong. So conscience is a witness against us. In God's tribunal, the law is against us. Conscience is against us. And then there is a third prosecution witness, the chief witness, Satan himself. Revelations chapter 12 verse 10. Revelations 12:10. Then reads, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. Satan is an accuser who accuses us before God day and night. Conscience is an accuser. The law is an accuser. What is all of this saying? It is saying that the person on trial has made a mistake, has sinned, deserves to be punished. Satan's role in accusing us is to show that it will be unjust for God to punish him and the angels that sin against him and let us go scot-free. Because that will not be fair. He can scream unfair, unjust. If we were banished to eternal damnation, you must banish these guys too to eternal damnation if you are a just God. So how can God be just and the justifier? How do we escape judgment when the law, our conscience, and Satan testify against us? Before God. And God has to be just and if he has to be just then he can't justify us did we sin yes are we sinners yes the bible says even when we didn't sin in the manner of adam after the similitude of adam even when we didn't do the same thing adam did we have also seen so sin has two components original sin which is inherited from Adam and our own committed sin which is our own action both stand as accused before God so how does man escape in God's tribunal and how does God go about it to be just 
and a justifier. Well, so there is God, the judge, sinners, accused, prosecution, the law, conscience, Satan, and there is one more that sometimes we forget in a law court, and that is the advocate. Advocate. The advocate is a lawyer. He's going to counteract the prosecution. He's going to come against all their issues against the sinner. And the advocate has to be able to do something to nullify the case of the prosecution so that the accused can be justified properly. So who is the advocate? Well, Jesus Christ. First John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. But not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's a very heavily loaded statement. Jesus' advocacy is not only for those who end up repenting or who get justified. He's also advocating for those who don't believe in him and don't accept his advocacy. So there are those who would come to Jesus and say, you're the advocates, we hire you or we ask you to advocate for us. And then there are those who say, we don't even believe in you, we don't trust you, we don't need you as advocate. But his role is for those who accept him and for those who don't accept him. So people are not going to go to hell because there was no advocate. They are going to hell because they rejected the case that has been made by the advocate. So he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He's the great mediator, the one who stands between us and God. And his mission is to show that we have a case before God. Because when we talk about God's glory coming to us, God's glory will not cohabit sin. God's glory will not rest on a condemned people. God's glory will only come to a people who are justified justly, properly justified. And he himself is our proposition. The advocacy of Jesus Christ is twofold. He is a representative or he represents us before the judge. But he also represents us by his, himself, by us. So he is us speaking for us at one level and another level he is God speaking for us. So he is us speaking for us he is God speaking for us. That's the advocacy of Jesus Christ. It's twofold. It works Godward and manward. That's why he stands in between 
God and man. He advocates for us. Now how is he going to do it? Proverbs chapter 17 verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So, a person who justifies wicked people is an abomination to the Lord. So, if Jesus is going to be an advocate and he's going to justify these people or getting these people justified, he risks becoming an abomination. He risks that. Because if he's advocating for people who are wicked people, the scripture says he himself will become an abomination. So, in God dealing with us, the law presents the evidence of our sins, our, consci our conscience presents evidence of our sins, Satan presents evidence of our sins. God takes all of the evidence into account and must reach a verdict that justifies us. And if he does that, he will be unjust. He will be unjust because the evidence is so clear and it has not been removed. And if God ever becomes unjust, he loses the essence of his being. He's no longer who he is. A criminal cannot be just, justified. That would be a violation of divine order. A criminal has to be pardoned and then he can be justified. So the sin has to be or the crime has to be dealt with and then he can be justified. It's like what happens when somebody commits a crime and he's pronounced guilty. He goes to prison. And when he goes to prison, he pays for his sin. So we say he's going to atone for his sins or he's going to do time. He goes to, goes to pay for the crime he's committed. And when he comes out of the prison, you cannot accuse him of the same crime again. Why? Because he's paid for it. Wrong. And then after he had done something wrong, he puts up good behavior. And, and does become the most exemplary citizen. It's fine that he's become a good person, but his past sin has still not been dealt with. So in Jesus becoming our advocate, all of these things had to be answered. And how is that answered? Well, same Romans chapter 4, verse 23. And 25. It summarizes Jesus' mission this way. It says, Now it was not written for his sake alone, but that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. Verse 25, that's where I'm going. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised. Because of our justification. Two things happen. 
through Christ. He was delivered up for our offenses. And then he was raised because of our justification. Delivered for our offenses. Raised for our justification. Delivered for our offenses. Raised for our justification. So, Jesus is delivered because of offenses. Raised for justification. He was not delivered for justification. Neither was he raised for offenses. He was delivered for offenses. Raised for justification. Two different activities of our advocate. Being delivered means that he was, he was put out. If somebody has to be punished... For the people I am defending, I put myself out. I, this is me. So he's delivered so that whatever has to happen to the accused happens to him. If the accused has to be maltreated, he's maltreated. If the accused has to be whipped, he is whipped. If the, if the accused has to die, he dies. Whatever must happen to the accused happens to him. Because he represents the accused. And that is the first part. He's delivered for our offenses. And then he was raised for our justification. So if he's delivered and he's not raised, justification does not take place. And for me to just explain that, I will just tell you a story as an illustration. Now, as with every story, it doesn't fully answer all the questions by it, but it tells us, gives us a, a, a picture of what uh, this whole story is about. So, imagine there is a man called Mr. F.T. Adams. F.T. Adams, or First Adam. So, Mr. Adams, First Adam, leaves a huge debt for his children. The children grow to realize that their father left them a huge debt. And Mr. Adam dies. So when he dies, the debt he has raised goes to his successors. The home they are living in, the land, whatever they have. So the debtor is coming to collect from their children, not from Mr. Adams who is dead but from the children of Mr. Adams that means that soon they will suffer for the wrong of their father the children who owe the money live in Nigeria that's where they are and uh the case is in a law court in Nigeria and uh, they're going to take 
the property in Nigeria from the kids. The person who is owed, the creditor, lives in the UK. So the children are in one jurisdiction. The creditor is in another jurisdiction. So the debt mounts. The creditor takes the case to court, secures judgment against the children. So on the verge of losing everything, on the verge of losing everything, Mr. F.T. Adams, Mr. Fresh Adams' brother shows up. His twin brother. He's called Mr. L.T. Adams or the last Adam. He comes to the rescue. He says, this is my brother. He left this debt for his children. I need to help to liberate his children. I have no children. Mr. Last Adam has no children. So he takes pity on his, the children of his brother, decides to help them. He sells everything he has and offers to pay off the debt. However, the creditor lives in a different jurisdiction in the UK. So knowing the full extent of the debt that is owed, Mr. Last Adam travels to the UK and fully settles all the debts. Fully settles it, pays everything up. So theoretically, the children are free. He takes receipt as evidence so that all the debt that has been paid will be on record. Then this is the evidence he must present in Nigeria. So at this time, we can say that in fact, the debt has been paid in the UK. Because the last Adam has gone to pay it. But something tragic happens. After he has paid the debt, Mr. Last Adam is murdered. And all the evidence that he has paid the debt dies with him. How will the children then be free? How would they? Because the evidence is not with them. They didn't pay for it. It was paid for by them. The man who has the receipt, has paid the price, has died. So we can say, if we are using this analogy to illustrate what I just talked about, the last Adam has been delivered for our offenses. The offenses of the children is the reason why he was delivered. He's paid for it. But in paying for it, he died. Now, if he died, then how can the children be free from the dead? That would be the end of the story. A debt that was paid but cannot be verified. And that is why the Bible says Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He paid for our offenses. And then he died. Jesus died after paying for our offenses. How do we know he's paid for the offenses? How does that benefit us? 
the only way that will benefit us is for the one who paid for the offenses died come back and represent the evidence of what he has done and that's what happened in our salvation Jesus delivered for our offenses died but if he had remained dead then we could not be justified our sin can be forgiven because our sin is forgiven the debt is gone but the, we cannot be pronounced as not owing it is only when we can present the evidence that justification can take place the court in Nigeria can now say on the merit of this receipt these children are free to keep all their father's assets Jesus died in our place when he died in our place the father had to look at the merit of the offense and the merit of the payment and this is how Romans puts it because of one man's offense the sin was committed not by a thousand people it was committed by one man the first Adam so the payment must not be paid by a million people if one man sinned then it is just that one man also pay for the price the difference between the rebellion of Satan and Adam's sin is that when Satan rebelled he rebelled with the angels who were with him they acted in the sin in our case we didn't act in Adam's sin one man sinned his sin was imputed on us the just payment doesn't have to be billions of people paying the just payment is that one man also pays for the sin of the one man who committed the original sin and when that happens there is equal payment for equal offense and the children who are being held captive to the sin of their father can now be pronounced free and that is what justification is God looked at the merit of the crime looked at the merit of the sacrifice equalized it and said the payment is equal to the crime so that those who have been held captive to the sin of the original man can now be pronounced not guilty and God by doing that is both just and the justifier and no one in the universe can say it's not fair because he did it fair and square he re received evidence that our debt has been paid Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead presented the evidence of his sacrifice and on the basis of that we are free and we are free indeed and that is why the Bible says 
there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because when I'm in Christ Jesus I have a legal standing before God that frees me from the condemnation of the sin of Adam and we are justified not by ourselves not by our works not by our effort but by the completed work of the death of Jesus Christ which paid for our sin and his raising from the dead which presented the evidence that our sins have been forgiven we are therefore the justified of the Lord we are free and free indeed and that my friend is what allows us to receive the glory of God to receive the magnificent glory of God the excellency of his glory comes to us because we are justified Satan knows you are justified if you believe in Christ Jesus he knows it because he knows the price was paid but being the father of lies he will come deceiving you that you still owe and that is why when he comes you go back to Jesus Christ you don't go to yourself and say I don't owe you I don't owe you you look at what Christ did because we point to Jesus and it is in him that we have all the benefits that come to us and I pray that God will help us to walk in the fullness of the justification that we have in Christ Jesus as I said from the beginning justification is not a moral change and that does not mean go and live anyhow but it's not moral it's legal legally before God there is no case against you if you have received the work of the advocate so far there are people who have rejected the work of the advocate they say, some say they don't believe in him some don't believe that he has paid the price for them so although legally he has done it in fact de facto they have not accepted it and that is why people will perish eternally not because God did not justify but he justified and he presented a case for those who believe in him and even those who do not believe in him it is in the interest of the entire world to just believe in the work of the advocate Jesus Christ make him their Lord and their Savior and they enjoy their justification freely freely that is in Christ Jesus I trust that uh, this explanation helps you to walk in the victory of Christ Jesus to walk in the power of the resurrection because our justification comes from the resurrection and I pray that the Lord will help us to walk boldly with our chest out in the fullness of the knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
somewhere in this service you will be told to make the decision to make Jesus Christ your advocate and your Lord and your Savior father we thank you tonight for the justification that is in Christ for we have been justified freely through Christ Jesus thank you Lord that you have made a pronouncement over our lives a declaration over our lives that what was against us is no longer against us and whom you set free whom your son sets free is free indeed thank you for your matchless love and the fullness of your glory available to us in Jesus name Thank you for listening to another message. God's blessing be with you now and forever. For counseling, email trem at tremusa.org. Remain blessed.